Jesus welcomes you and we welcome you. Today, the signs of the times declare that we are standing on the threshold of great and solemn events. Everything in our world is in agitation. Would you say amen to that? I mean, there's nothing that's seemingly steady right now. Everything is sort of shaking. Before our eyes is fulfilling the Savior's prophecy of the events to proceed, precede his coming. You shall hear of wars, rumors of wars, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. Matthew 24, 6 and 7. The present is a time of overwhelming interest to all living, rulers and statesmen, men who occupy positions of trust and authority, thinking men and women of all classes have their attention fixed upon the events taking place about us. They are watching the strained, restless relations that exist among the nations. They observe the intensity that is taking possession of every earthly element. And they recognize that something great and decisive is about to take place. That the world is on the verge of a stupendous crisis. Angels are now restraining the winds of strife that they may not blow until the world shall be warned of its coming doom. But a storm is gathering, ready to burst upon the earth, and when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, there will be such a scene of strife that no pen can picture. The Bible, and the Bible only, gives us a correct view of these things. Here are revealed the great final scenes in the history of our world. Events that are already casting their shadows before, the sound of their approach causing the earth to tremble and men's hearts to fail them for fear. Let's pray. Oh, indeed, Father, we see that you are coming very soon, very soon, as Brother Daniel sang, and we sang along with him, and we are excited about your coming because it means spending eternity with you, you who are our great reward. You are our portion. You're our shield. You are our everything. And oh Lord, how we long for that day. We know that in the meantime, before now and then, the Bible describes this period of time as birth pains. And those are not comfortable but the new creation that is ushered in afterward is so worth it. And so, Lord, please, now as we look at your holy word, send your spirit to be our teacher and our guide. We pray that our understanding will be clear, the conviction will run deep, and that application will be made freely and abundantly by each one. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Again, we're back to the three angels' messages, and that, of course, is in Revelation 14, verses 6 through 12. You should know it well. How many of you here today are Seventh-day Adventist Christians? That is, you're a member of this church or some Seventh-day Adventist church. Okay, so I would say most. <clears throat> Do you know what your mission statement is? Well, I'm going to read it to you today. This is our mission statement from the General Conference. And so we have everything to do with this three angels' messages. It's what we're all about. It's our Shema, as we talked about. The Jews have this special passage of Scripture that focuses them. And we have this passage, not that we do away with any of the rest of this Bible, but this is special to us. God has given this to us to share with the world. And here is our mission statement. To make disciples of Jesus Christ who live as his loving witnesses and proclaim to all people the everlasting gospel of the three angels' messages in preparation for his soon return. Come on and say amen if that's your mission statement. 
Amen. I only heard one amen. Any other amens? <laughs> That's the mission, right? Take this everlasting gospel to the entire world. And so this is not just a gospel that lasts from now and forever, but it is also forever past. It's the everlasting gospel. God wasn't taken by surprise when sin arose. Already in the mind and heart and plan of God, salvation would take place. There was a plan put in place from the foundation of the world where God the Father and the Son together came and planned if sin arises, there would be a Savior. And that's exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior, Christ, stepped between the living and the dead and said, let the punishment fall on me. That is the everlasting gospel, and it, of course, is to go to the entire world, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And Matthew 24, 14 says, when this happens, the gospel as a witness goes to the whole world. Then what happens right after that? Then the end shall come. That's it, exactly. So here it is, in a nutshell, we stand on the shoulders of the reformers throughout the years and their great shoulders to stand on. Here's just a simple explanation of the gospel. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed by scripture alone. A lot of alones there, but that is the gospel. And that is what uh, we've come to know it as. <clears throat> there is not a point that needs to be dwelt upon more earnestly, repeated more frequently. That's why I've read this to you now in three sermons in a row. <laughs> or established more firmly in the minds of all than the impossibility of fallen man meriting anything by his own best good works. On your best day, your works are like filthy rags, and mine also. Salvation is through Jesus, is through faith in Jesus Christ alone. Come on and say amen if that's good news, because we can't do it, but Christ can do it in us and through us if we'll receive it by faith. The problem is the proud heart strives to earn salvation. But the truth is, both our title to heaven and our fitness for heaven are found in the righteousness of Christ. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness. And this is the key point. This is what Babylon never will admit, that they have a weakness. The Lord can do nothing toward the recovery of man until convinced of his own weakness and stripped of all self-sufficiency, every mouth is stopped. He yields himself to the control of God. Then amazing things can happen. Then he can receive the gift that God is waiting to bestow from the soul that feels his need. Nothing is withheld. He has unrestricted access to him in whom all the fullness dwells. How many of you would like that? Unrestricted access to all that God is. Amen. That's what he wants to give us. That's this gift. And so our job is to feel our need and to be convinced of our own weakness and stripped of all our own self-sufficiency. That's what God needs from us, is to realize that we are nothing, but he is everything. We can do nothing, but he can do everything. That's the God of the gospel. Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains or the springs of waters. We looked at this uh, word, fear God, this concept. It's much more than just a word. There's, there's a lot of shades of meaning. We looked at it from Deuteronomy 10, 12, 13, and 20. But we found that this fear is not a fear that pushes you away from God. It's something that draws you to him because you're not afraid of God. It's a love for God. It's a clinging 
to God. It's a wanting to obey his commandments. It's that kind of fear. It's awe and reverence all wrapped up into one. That's fear God and give glory to him. Everything in this world is vying for glory, but there's only one thing that's worthy of glory, and that's Jesus Christ, amen? Not self, not man, not creation, not even the things he created, the special things that are his, but he himself is worthy of our glory. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. Now, is that his judgment of us or the judgment of him? I think it's both. But think about it in relation to him because it's his character that is in a sense on trial in these last days, the very character of God. The hour of his judgment has come. Psalms 23 says, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. May you be found just when you are judged. It's talking about God. God is being judged? Oh, yes, he is. But think about this. It's also we being judged and God being judged through us, right? Because he's up in the heavens. How is he going to be judged? Well, he's going to be judged by witnesses, and that is us. I love this slide. There's a world out there, right, that is seeking human kindness. Will you show it to them? Will you show it to him? God is on trial in front of the universe also, but here on earth. Who will show him God? Well, you say, I can't show him God. Well, you can't, that's true. But if you'll get out of the way, God can work through you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, and he can see a little picture of what God is like. Not because you are it, but because God can work through you. Will you show him What about the onlooking universe? They too need to see the character of God. Of course, you say, well, they know the character of God. Yes, they do, but this is in a different context. We have a little planet here that's in this sin mess. Does God's plan really work? Does he have a plan that really works? God wants to show that through you and me. I love what Romans 8, 19, this is a paraphrase. <clears throat> it's similar to J.B. Phillips. This is not Phillips. I like Phillips maybe even a little better, but it says this, the entire universe, just to kind of give us a, a visual picture, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters or to see God's children coming into their own. And so... God is, in a sense, on trial. The judgment of him is taking place. And we know the sands in the hourglass of time are nearly running out. I think we all would have hoped that this COVID thing was just sort of a bleep on the radar and, you know, probably we'd be through this and a lot of years ahead of us. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> no one knows, but um, I would say that that's probably not the case. I think, as I talked about this last week, this is a test, but it's not only a test. It's connected. Now, will there be a time of peace and safety? Will COVID ever be over? And will there be a short time of peace and safety? There may very well be, but don't let yourself get lulled to sleep Jesus is coming, amen? He's coming soon. Worship him that made heaven and earth. This is pointing us right to, of course, creation, but also to the fourth commandment of the commandments. And worship him that made the fountains of waters. And this most likely is a reference 
to Genesis 7, verse 11. Worship him that made the fountains of the great deep as the waters came up from the earth. So we have creation and we have the flood talked about in this very verse. And it's to be a part of our message in the last days to the world that there is a creator that we can trust in. Things are not now as they always have been, as the scoffers in Peter's day said. Go with me to that text in 2 Peter. So I want to share with you there, 2 Peter chapter 3, <clears throat> because I only know of two texts that speak of creation and the flood in the context, in the clear context of the last days. We looked at one already, Revelation 14. It's to be part of our message. Worship him that made heaven and earth, the seas and the fountains of waters. But this is the other one. And I would put forth to you today that the greatest evidence that we are living in the last days is not pestilences, is not COVID virus, that the greatest evidence is the anti-creation movement on this earth. And hopefully you'll understand more as we look at this text. Look at verse 3. We are in 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. I've got the King James rendering here this morning. <clears throat> And it says this, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days, in what days? Last days, so we know what context we're dealing with here. This is the last days, there would be scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, what are these scoffers saying? Well, they're saying, where is the promise of his coming? You guys, you Seventh-day Adventists talk about Jesus coming soon. I don't see it, they're saying. I see everything carrying on as it was from the beginning. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Well, there's a few things that they are willingly ignorant of here, right? All things aren't the same as from creation. The other thing they missed was God's word, which caused creation. So look on to verse five. For this they willingly are ignorant of. Have you ever been willingly ignorant of something <laughs> that you didn't want to do? <laughs> For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, a clear reference to creation and the land masses being formed. So there we have creation. And then verse 6, whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. What event do we call that when the world perished with water? The flood. Now, I don't want to digress too much, but if, if we only trust science today in any realm, we're, we're missing a lot <laughs> because the word of God is the word of God, amen? And when it says something, it's true. The people prior to the flood, if they were trusting science, would they have believed in a flood? Nope. <laughs> Never been a flood. We have no evidence that there can be a flood that will flood the whole earth. I mean, I'm a scientist here. I am just not buying this. Well, God's word said there would be a flood, and there was a flood. Amen? Now think about this in our day. Has the world, the whole world, ever been destroyed by fire? Nope, no scientific evidence that this will happen. But God's word says it will happen, amen? <laughs> and it will happen. So trust God's word. Don't ignore science. Um, ignore science falsely so-called, but don't ignore science in general, but cling to God's word, amen? God's word is true. There is a creator, and this group in these last days would be scoffing at the fact that the second coming was near and that there was creation and redemption. Peter goes on in verse seven though and says this, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word, so the word is in charge here, he's saying, by the same word are kept in store. It may look like nothing's going on, but they're just kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment 
and perdition of ungodly men. And so again, I think this is proof positive that we are living in the last days because we have an anti-creation movement like never before. Obviously, the non-Christian world doesn't believe in creation for the most part, but even the Christian world does not. Uh, Catholicism does not or believes in a theistic version of it. And I'm talking about the main doctrine, the people believe many things. There's a billion Catholics or however many there are. So certainly just like Adventists, there's a lot of different beliefs there. But this movement towards anti-creation is to me one of the key ways that we know that we are living in the last days and God has called us to preach the everlasting gospel. Amen? And the everlasting gospel of a creator. How many of you this morning, don't raise your hand if you did this, you got up and you thought, oh, I'm just pretty sure the sun is going to fall out of its place today. Hopefully nobody did that, right? No, because God holds it up. Not only did he create all things, but by him all things consist. We're going to look at that text in a minute here. So if God created the sun, the moon, the stars, if he created everything, if, and if he holds them in place, you think he can take care of you and your stuff? Yeah. Yeah, so the fact that he's creator and he takes care of things, he holds them together, he can hold you together to give us courage and strength that our God, our creator, is also our redeemer. He's our sustainer. He's our surety. He is our everything. Now, interestingly enough, God anticipates the anti-creation lie. This message was especially becoming apropos around 1844. Know anything that's going on in the anti-creation world around 1844? Charles Darwin, right? (laughs) The Origin of Species. It wasn't published till later, but it was starting to get um, out there in 1844. But God anticipated us. He gave us this message to take to the world. There is a creator who loves you. Give him glory. Fear him and give glory to him. For the hour of his judgment is come. Now, don't miss this point. And it's a bit of a deep one, but I know you guys can get it. I'm just worried if I can explain it (laughs) correctly. But creation and redemption are not like One's over here and one's over here, and they're like not connected, right? They are interconnected. In fact, I think you could say creation and redemption are one. So if you throw out creation like these scoffers are doing, what else are you throwing out if they're both one? Redemption. Now, what is the great sign of creation and redemption? The Sabbath, right? So you're throwing, if you throw out creation... You're in essence throwing out redemption. If you're throwing out creation and redemption, you're basically throwing out the Sabbath. Let me take you to a text on this in Colossians. I already quoted a little bit from it. But let's look at Colossians chapter 1. And verse 12 and onward. Because Christ is both our creator and our redeemer. And this is super important because the false anti-creation gospel of Babylon is exactly the opposite. There is no creator. There is no redeemer. It's all about you and you getting it together. Your merits being saved by your own merits, or being saved in your sins. That's the essence of the two ditches of the false gospel. We looked at that last week. I have that statement again here. But let's look at verse 12, Colossians 1. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet. That's the King James. Some versions say, and rightly so, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who has delivered us, past tense, from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have, what's the next word? Redemption, thank you. For those that are following, verse 14, in whom we have redemption. So here's the redeemer being spoken of. Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
He who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things, what's the next word there? Created. So you have redemption and you have creation as one. All things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things who were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. Or he holds them together. He's holding you together right now. He's been holding you in his hands since you were born, and he won't stop, amen? Our God won't stop. So we see creation and redemption together. Think about it. At the end of creation, everything, I mean, during the different days, things were good, but then at the end of creation, things were what? Very good, right? Very good. And Christ said that the works were finished. Creation was finished. It was a perfect and finished work of creation. Nothing needed to be added. God did it, and it was perfect and finished. Now, that's creation. Think about redemption. On the cross, Christ is hanging there, and he says, it is finished. So we have a perfect and finished work of creation. In Genesis, on the cross, we have a perfect and finished work of redemption. Christ did it for you, amen? It's a done deal. Will you accept it? Will you receive the perfect and finished work of Christ? That is what the Sabbath is all about. It is a memorial of his work, his perfect and finished work on our behalf. It's the Sabbath is the sign and the seal of his work. Don't let anybody ever tell you that, oh, that Sabbath, you someday Adventists must be legalistic if you keep the Sabbath. Well, you could be legalistic and look like you're keeping the Sabbath, but to truly keep the Sabbath, no way, right? It's the greatest sign of grace that there ever was, the Sabbath is the sign that God did it. He finished it. It was perfect. And it was for you. Well, the second angel's message, got to move along. By the way, I have one more week. I'm, I'm <laughs> going next week on this to get three angels' message into four messages because I just can't do it in three. Davos, Switzerland, we looked at last week. And the economic summit that took place there what Time News called the Great Reset, a.k.a. a new world order. Let's be real here. This is what's going on on our planet. And everybody's behind it except for one country. Although there are other countries with ailing economies too that are trying to prop them up, but the United States is the biggest one. We know our historic freedoms not only will be challenged, they are being challenged front of our very faces, the Bible predicts a coming confederacy of religions attempting to unite church and state. So what we're seeing now is a test, but it's not only a test, there's more to come. And this country was set up on two great principles, civil and religious liberty. Now, the thing is, you can't really separate these two easily, one from another. Have you looked at the Bill of Rights lately or the amendments? A lot of, well, actually, a lot of them have to do with voting, if, <laughs> if you go back and look at the 27. But clearly, some of them are, are religious in nature, are civil rights. I've heard someone recently say, you know, the only rights we have are right here. Well, I think you could find them all in here, but we have this body of... Um, of rights uh, that were made for our country are civil rights. What's happening now in general in our nation is not uh, trying to disregard our religious rights. Even here in Michigan, give the governor credit where it's due, she has not done anything with the churches. She said that is out of her jurisdiction, and she's correct. And, uh, and she stayed there, and that's good. But so, it's, so our religious rights are not being impeded per se, but our civil rights are. And the thing is, civil rights and religious rights, 
Where one ends and the other starts, it's a little difficult to tell. We know from history when civil rights go, religious rights many times go next, or it can flip the other way around. When uh, religious liberty comes in, civil liberties usually follow. So this is the world we live in today. Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication or her passionate unfaithfulness. This is Babylon. In the last days which we live, there are going to be only two groups, the passionate unfaithful and the passionate faithful. Which one will you be on? Which side will you be on? From Revelation 18, we read further about Babylon. We'll get into this more next week. Babylon is fallen. Come out of her, what does it say next? My people. So where are many of God's people? They're in Babylon. In fact, maybe the greater majority are there. Who knows? But there's certainly many sincere people in all the different denominations. I remember my first pastor per se out in Chula Vista, California, used to say, you know, Rob, there's going to be a lot of Baptists in heaven. There's going to be a lot of Calvinists in heaven. There's going to be a lot of Methodists in heaven. And there may even be a few Seventh-day Adventists. (laughs) I think he said that to keep us humble. (laughs) But it's true, there are many, many denominations with godly people. I work with some of them. Some of them are my colleagues in different functions around town here and so forth. Wonderful, godly people. I know you know the same, that it's true. But God is calling them out of something, amen? Calling them out of a system that is or has error in it. Not because he wants to punish them. He wants them not to receive the punishment of her plagues and partake of her sins. That's what he says. He's got something better. And I say it humbly, God has given it to us to share with them. Not because we're better. Never should we ever feel that way. But God has given us a message. He's given us a truth to take to the world. So who is Babylon? I'm going to give you a brief definition here. But there's so much to cover on this. That's why we need at least another week. And we'll be done in about 15 minutes here. Revelation 13, you have the dragon, you have the sea beast, and then you have the land beast. And so here Babylon is sort of combining these three forces in Revelation 17, I believe this is, um, compares pretty much directly. The description is this, right? That's Revelation 13, 1 through 10. Revelation 17, you have kings, you have the harlot, and you have the daughters of the harlot. And so I believe those compare to each other. Um, you might say, well, wait a minute, the dragon isn't the king. So how does that one go? Well, go with me to Revelation 12, verse 4. Let me show you something there. And then I'll read you my definition here. The dragon is Satan. We know that. But does Satan come down with a big long tail and, you know, mess with people? No. He uses what? He uses people. He uses nations. He uses kings. We see that in this example in Revelation 12, 4. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be devoured, or delivered, sorry, ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. Now this is talking about the Christ child as soon as he was getting ready to be born. So the devil didn't come down. Who did he use, the devil? Pagan Rome, right? Pagan Rome. Specifically, who? Herod, right? So he uses Herod. So this is a king or kings of the earth. That's exactly who he uses here. Now, let me read this description, then I'll give you another quote on this. Babylon is an apostate, antichrist system that forces 
a false gospel and a false day of worship upon the world is followed by the world and deceives the whole world. It uses politics and fallen Protestants to do its bidding. I was listening to a sermon this week. By the way, if you think that people today are strong on the papacy and pointing that out, we're, we're wimps compared to <laughs> some of the historical figures, Charles Spurgeon, obviously Martin Luther, others. But I was listening to John MacArthur recently. I don't know if his church has been shut down or not. He's in He's not far from Hollywood out in the L.A. area. But um, this was an older sermon, and it was after the ecumenical council to combine Catholics and Protestants. He was lamenting. He's like, what are we doing as Protestants? He says, I'm ashamed that we as Protestants are now saying, oh, yeah, 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 let's all get together and do things together. We can do some things together, but when it comes to doctrine, we cannot. We can't agree with what's part of Babylon. So he lamented that very much. Here's a statement, though, about the dragon and kings, etc. It's from Review and Herald, which, of course, was the building right over here in the corner many years ago. This is 1893, so be thinking, wow, 1888. Everything changed after 1888. Everything was colored by what happened there. And by the way, we had Senator Blair introducing a Sunday law in that very time span. So here it is. He, that is the devil, is full of anger because he cannot bind the people into bundles with the world to render to him complete allegiance. Just makes him mad that he just can't do that. Now listen to this. Kings... And rulers, and what's the next word? Governors have placed upon themselves the brand of what? Antichrist. And are represented as the dragon who goes forth to make war with the saints who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. You know, friends, this time we live in is a test but it's not like the emergency broadcasting system where it says, this is a test and only a test. This is a test, but it's not only a test, right? It's connected. But God is testing our hearts. What will we do when the next time comes? He's giving us a run-through. Any of you that have taken like the medical exam or, or, or the law exam, Adam's here somewhere, uh, you know, or any great test, uh, kids are coming up on some tests here before they get out of school. Wouldn't it be great to have already, they give you the test and you get to go through the whole thing ahead of time? Wow, how cool would that be, right? This is what God is doing for us. He's giving us this test or this pretest right now to test what we will do then. And so I pray that you and I will pass the test given now because the next test will be just a tad harder. And so may God give you grace to go through the test as he's giving it. And he's not just testing us. He's testing rulers. He's testing kings. He's testing presidents. He's testing governors. What would you do, governor, if you had the uh, power to make economic sanctions? Would you do it? Governor, governor, what would you do if you had the power to put in a death decree? Would you do it? I think he's testing. I think he's trying to redeem not just us, but the whole world, kings, governors, and rulers alike. The beast or antichrist power use political figures. That will be the way they enforce they make, Revelation 13 says, or cause things to happen, enforce economic sanctions for religious reasons. Very interesting. Now, they may not seem like religious reasons. Well, no, the reason is Mother Earth needs our help. That's why we all need to take off one day a week. And in the Middle East, it's quite confusing because you have Muslims who take off on Friday, and then you have 
Jews who take off on Sabbath, and you still have some Christians who take off on Sunday. This is too confusing. We need one day to be off. Wonder which day that will end up being. <laughs> you know. You know, and this is the direction that we're heading even now. Well, this Babylon is shown to be, have abominations in a cup of passionate unfaithfulness. I give you some of these as we close this morning. The Vatican's bold claim is that Sunday is our mark of authority. The church is above the Bible. And this transference of Sabbath observance proves that fact. If it wasn't so, then everybody wouldn't be following us. The true gospel says, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. The papacy says, Sundays must be a day of rest dedicated to God and family. And this is going to become more and more prevalent. You'll see the statements I have that are coming from actually the older ones to the newer ones. This is from Laudato Si. So this is much more recent than that last statement. On Sunday, our participation in the Eucharist has special importance. Sunday, like the Jewish Sabbath, is meant to be a day which heals our relationships with God, with others, and with the world. Show me that in the Bible. Sunday is the day of the resurrection. I can, that's true. The first day of the new creation, whose first fruits are the Lord's risen humanity, the pledge of the final transfiguration of all created humanity. Sunday gives us renewed sensitivity to the rights of others. Hmm, where's he going with this? And so the day of rest centered in the Eucharist sheds its light on the whole week and motivates us to greater concern for nature and the poor. This is a big um, focal point of the Great Reset, of the New World Order. They, the, the push is to have a universal living wage, which means everybody is broke, basically. Except there's this a few, 1% still. You know, they talk against 1%, but that's exactly what they're creating when they want this New World Order. This is from right here in Michigan, 1995. Um, Catholic source and a very, very good one, a very um, honest one. The day of the Lord was chosen not from any direction noted in the scripture, but from the, but from the church's sense of its own power. People who think that the scripture should be the sole authority should logically do what? What does it say? Should logically become Seventh-day Adventists and go to church on Sabbath and keep Saturday or Sabbath holy. Again, from Laudato Si, so the big three are in there, Sunday worship, the Eucharist, which is, there's pantheism floating around in there somewhere, let me just say that. And then, of course, Mary, who is the mother of this earth now. I don't know if you knew that or not. In the Eucharist, Fullness is already achieved. It is the living center of the universe, joins heaven and earth. It embraces and penetrates all creation. Now, they're talking about the little piece of bread, not, well, what, which is Christ, according to them, becomes Christ. It doesn't just represent. Thus, the Eucharist is also a source of light and motivation for our concerns for the environment. Now, if you're saying, that's a bit of a stretch, that's what I said. How does that... <laughs> get to the environment, directing us to be stewards of all creation. And now, of course, there is Mary, who would turn over in her grave if she heard the things that is being said about her. She would never wish to be exalted like is happening. Mary, the mother who cared for Jesus, now cares with maternal affection and pain for this wounded world. <clears throat> Just as her pierced heart mourned for the death of Jesus, she now grieves for the suffering of the crucified poor and the creatures of this world laid waste by human power. Friends, listen to me. Mary hasn't answered anybody's prayer ever because she can't, amen? She can't. 
She can't. She doesn't care for this world. She is in the grave. It's a fallacy. It's the biggest fallacy foisted on humanity, this whole system of the papacy. It's not just another denomination. It's another religion. Don't be fooled, please. Mary, again, completely transfigured, now she lives with Jesus, and all creatures sing her fairness. What about Jesus? She is the woman clothed in the sun with the moon under her feet and on her head a crown of 12 stars. No, she's not. (laughs) Carried up into heaven, she is the mother and queen of what? All creation. This is going somewhere, and I hope you're seeing it. Now listen to this. Mary, she treasures the entire life of Jesus in her heart and now understands the meaning of all things. Hence, we can ask her, her, to enable us to look at this world with the eyes of wisdom. Do you see where this is going? Now, if Mary appears and says, you know, the Pope is right. We need to be all taking Sunday off. And and you need to work on Sabbath. The true Sabbath is Sunday. Well, of course, she's, she's right according to this, right? She's the mother of creation. Don't be fooled, friends. A few more quotes, we're done. It says this, and this is again our current Pope, Pope Francis, We require a new and universal solidarity. I hope you're reading between the lines here. Doomsday predictions can no longer be met with irony or disdain. President Trump talked about doomsday predictions in his Davos speech. But listen to this next part. Enforceable international agreements are urgently needed. Do you know what that's code for, right? (laughs) National Sunday law. Since local authorities are not always capable. Oh, you guys can't really handle it down there. We need one main source to handle it. And I'll, I'll do that. Because the enforcement of laws is at times inadequate due to corruption, public pressure, this is very interesting, has to be exerted in order to bring about decisive political action. Society through non-governmental agencies, maybe the daughters, of the harlots and intermediate groups must put pressure on governments to develop more, more rigorous, rigorous regulations, not less, more procedures and controls. This is November 1. Actually, the source here is Market Watch. If any of you have ever heard of that, that's some people read that that look at the stock market a lot. We won't come out of this crisis the same. He's right. <laughs> we won't. We have an increased number of those who protest or complain about restrictive measures, unable to accept that not everyone has the same resources to face the pandemic. Shame on you for complaining about all these restrictions, that you can't have more than one other person in your home for Thanksgiving. Huh. Why are you complaining? There are people worse off. Now get this, countries around the world that are working to save their ailing economies. That sounds to me like a good thing that they would be doing that. Well, yes, but they risk forgetting that any authentic development must promote all people as a whole. Again, read between the lines. Let him who hears Understand, he says this as I close, we need change. In other words, this crisis is kind of a good thing. Don't let a good crisis go to waste. We need change. The pandemic brought our organizational development models into a crisis, and it exposed many injustices. The gospel says... We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, as revealed in Scripture alone. Is that what you stand on today? Read between the lines, please. The papacy is prepared for two classes. How many classes? Two classes that embrace nearly the whole world. Those who would be saved by their merits 
and those who would be saved in their sins. Here is the secret of its power because it can just embrace everybody. You're into LGBTQ? We're okay with that. Come on in. You want to be saved by your works? We're okay with that too. Come on in. And the pool just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so God has given us a gospel to call people out of Babylon. You cannot be saved by your merits and you cannot be saved in your sins. The imputed and imparted gospel righteousness of Christ take care of that for us. This is our last statement for today, I promise. So the other one talked about the secret of its power. Here's how his power can be broken. Listen to this. Love this statement from a book called Gospel Workers, page 161. The thought that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us, not because of any merit on our part, that just knocked out one class, but as a free gift from God is a precious thought. And when it's imputed, by the way, when the righteousness of Christ meets with faith, a powerful thing happens. It changes us from the inside out. The enemy of God and man is not willing that this truth, two things, one, be clearly presented. For he knows that if the people receive it fully, that's the second one, his power will what? His power will be broken. How many of you long to see the devil's power broken in your life and in the lives of others? I sure do. And so next week, we look further at Babylon, its fall, and Babylon coming out, and the third angel's message. Let's pray as we close today. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for giving us the everlasting gospel that we are not saved by our works. Lord, that type of program could never work, and it never has worked, and it never will And any religion that has a gospel like that usually ends up trying to force it because it just doesn't work. And so, Lord, we're so grateful for the salvation that we have in Christ, that Christ died for the sins of the world. We're so grateful for the great exchange that Christ became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. O Father, O Jesus, O Holy Spirit, you are our only hope. You are the only thing we have in this world to depend upon. Babylon will deceive the whole world. But Lord, you will have a people that will be true to you. You have many in Babylon that you will call out, that will stand strong for you. Use us, Lord, to be a witness, to be a catalyst of this important message, this message of warning and this message of hope. In these last days to a lost world, we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.